It's an evening of old-time radio. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Box 13, care of Star Times. You advertised for adventure? I have it for you. If you will go any place, I can offer Paris. If you will do anything, you are the man I need. If you're interested, call at my office any day between the hours of 10 a.m. and... Any day between the hours of 10 a.m. and noon. I am at 247 Wabash Place, signed William Martin. Paris. <laughs> Adventure. What a dream that could have been. It was, but the awakening was different. <laughs> Now, back to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, Diamond in the Sky. It sounded great. A trip to Paris and adventure for the frosting on the cake. <laughs> Whoever Mr. William Martin was, he must have known that waving a deal like that in front of anyone was making it a sure thing. But Susie, as usual, had something to say. I don't know, Mr. Holliday. Maybe it's just somebody kidding you. Hmm, that's the girl, Susie. Get out the wet blankets, spread them around. Then again, maybe this Mr. Martin is, is beyond approach. The word, Susie, is reproach. But I've got a brilliant idea. What, Mr. Holliday? It's all very simple. I go to see Mr. William Martin at 247 Wabash Place. Wabash Place was one of those little streets filled with small businesses. But number 247 was by itself. No display window in front like the others. I thumbed a bell button that had a card under it with William Martin engraved on it. One minute later, after introductions, I was looking across a desk at a short, stocky, apple-cheeked man who said, No one knows you have come here, Mr. Holiday? No, just my secretary. <gasps> oh, but she won't say anything. You're positive? I am. Oh, good. A uh, cigarette, Mr. Holiday. Oh, yes, thanks. And uh, a light. <coughs> <coughs> you do not like my brand, huh? All this lacks is a fuse. What's in it? <laughs> my special tobacco. Uh, but uh, here's an ashtray. Uh, thanks. Well, Mr. Martin, you wrote that letter to Box 13, and here I am. Ah, good. Down to business, then. He opened a drawer, took out a photograph, and slid it across the desk to me. What I saw was a picture of a diamond. But what a piece of ice. I was studying it when Martin spoke again. I see by your expression, Mr. Holliday, that you are properly impressed. Oh, I'm impressed, Mr. Martin. What is this, the Rock of Gibraltar or something? <laughs> Not quite. That is the Mirabilis diamond. Oh. You've heard of it, then? Yes, yes, but how does it concern me? Uh, here. These credentials will tell you who I am. William Martin. Well, that's my name, yes, but, uh, well, you look. 
Martin passed me a sheaf of papers with his photo on them. He was William Martin, representative of Jason Van... Vandeclef. Hmm, name sounded familiar. Martin read my expression again and... Mr. Vandeclef is a diamond merchant. He has recently purchased the Mirabilis for a million dollars. That's a lot of hay for a lot of ice. I beg your pardon? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mr. Martin. The gem is in Paris. I am to get it and bring it over here. I see. And uh, box 13? You will go with me, Mr. Holiday. I have reservations for you on the oh, plane. Oh, now, just a minute. I'm not a bodyguard, Mr. Martin, or a private detective. Uh, please, I... please. Nothing so crude, Mr. Holiday. No, I have a much better plan. But first, let me tell you something. There is no jewel thief in the world who would not risk everything to get the Mirabilis. He could never sell it. No, no. But it could be cut up, and any one of the smaller stones would more than repay the thief for their trouble. Yes, I guess you're right. Okay, where do I come in? Well, it is very simple. But like all simple things, it is brilliant. I thought of it. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, you will pick up the diamond in Paris. I will go on the same plane, but we shall be complete strangers to each other. Do you begin to see Mr. Holiday? Sure. If anyone's wise that you're going over to get the stone, they'll follow you. Exactly. But I won't have it. You will. I shall stroll around Paris as a, as a tourist. Anyone following me will be, uh, shall we say, following a red mackerel? <laughs> All right, let's say it. Oh, uh, but there's only one thing wrong. Wrong? I did not think of something important? Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, me. Suppose this plan doesn't fool anyone. Then I'm set up like a clay pigeon. You lose a Mirabilis, and I'm just another claim for the insurance company. Oh, no, no, alors. You have no worry. Well, maybe I worry easily, Mr. Martin, especially if I'm carrying a million dollars worth of bait. Mr. Holiday, only you and I know of this. There can be no leak of information unless you tell someone. <laughs> oh, sure, I'll go around telling everyone that Dan Holiday's a setup. Here I am, fellas. Come and get me. <laughs> That's right. And thieves would kill to get the diamond. They have already. Why, I can tell you the history of the stone. Calcutta, murder. London, murder. Vienna, two deaths. And uh, the... Mr. Martin, skip the cook's tour of the morgue, will you? But you advertised for adventure, Mr. Holiday. You will go any place, do anything. Well? Touché. A little below the belt, but touché. And you've added one more to the population of Paris. Martin's plan was simple, and if it worked, a good way to get the Mirabilis into the United States. I said if. Hey, who invented that word? Well, it was three days later that I was ready to leave, passport okay, papers in order, and a phone call from Martin warning me not to recognize him when we were on the plane. I gave instructions to Susie and left for the airport. <laughs> hours later, I was out over the Atlantic. Martin sat well in front of me and never once looked back. So I played it his way, and beyond a quick look, paid no attention to him. Then, as I was settling down to watch the ocean go past underneath, Mr. I... Mr. Holliday? Mr. Dan Holliday? Uh, yes, I'm Holliday. I'm Irene Carson, your stewardess. Oh, how are you? Fine. And you? Wonderful, thank you. Good. Here's a letter for you. Letter? Uh, you're sure it's for me? Mr. Holliday, seat 19, flight 12. 
Check all the way through on that. All right, thanks, Miss Carson. You're welcome, sir. Oh, Miss Carson. Is there something you want? Well, just an answer to a question. Who gave you this? Well, no one. It was among last-minute letters and packages and gifts for our passengers. Oh, I see. Well, thanks again, Miss Carson. Not at all, Mr. Holliday. The letter was from Martin, brief and to the point. I was to go to an address in Paris and stay there until he called. Well, Mr. Martin was playing them close to his vest. Maybe he didn't trust me. <laughs> and who could blame him? With a million dollars worth of diamond for an ante, he wasn't dealing all the cards at once. Well, all I had to do was wait until morning in Paris. Early next morning, we landed at the Bourget Field. I stuck close behind Martin leaving the plane, but he didn't give me a tumble, so, well, I guess my cue was to hold up at the address mentioned in the letter until he got in touch. I was trying to flag down a taxi when... Is this the last time you saw Paris, Mr. Holliday? Oh, hello there, Miss Carson. <laughs> Looks like you're having trouble. Yes, a little. Say, um, how do you get one of these grounded grasshoppers to stop? You wave in French, like this. Oh, just like that, huh? <laughs> just like that. Teach me to wave like that, and I'll be able to get a taxi in Paris. Of course, if you lend me your face. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to it. Oh, I, um, I almost forgot. I came out here to find you. Oh? Something wrong? Passport? Papers? No, or... but I believe this is yours. How did you get this? I found it on the floor of the plane just after you left. Oh? What's the matter? I... Nothing. Can I give you a lift? No, thanks. I have my reports to make out. Maybe some other time if we're still in Paris, huh? Well, I'll be for three days before the hop back to the States. No, I see. Well, thanks a lot, Miss Carson. I'll be seeing you. I hope so, Mr. Holliday. She walked away from me. In my hand was the letter from Martin telling me where to stay until I heard from him. I hopped into the cab, gave the driver the address, and then leaned back in the seat to do some thinking. The letter was in my inside coat pocket. Pretty hard for anything to fall out of there. But my coat had been on a hanger, and I'd been away from it just long enough for anyone to pick up that letter. So, if anyone was wise to the way the game was being played, Martin was home safe, while I stood a better than even chance of being picked off a of first base. A half hour later, I was sitting in the little room at the address given me when... Yes? Uh, we? Hello. Yes? Oh, Martin? Yes. Everything was all right? Uh, fine. Now what? You are sure no one knows where you are? Well, I... Holiday. All right, no one knows. Now what? Here is an address. Go to it. There you will pick up the package. Okay. Now, don't write this down. Remember it. Do all right. Know? All right, I can remember it. 45, Rue de la Guerre. 45... No, 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 no. no. Do not repeat it there. Just remember it. All right, all right. Please, Mr. Holiday, you understand my concern. Look, my neck's out of yard too, Martin. Of course, of course. Now listen. There is a Monsieur Corey. Ask for him. Identify yourself with these words. I've come from the sky. You hear that? I got it. Then what? There will be no question. Those words are our code. I am registered at the Vendôme Hotel. Leave the package for me at the desk. Just like that, I leave a package I know worth... what I am doing. Now, that is all. The rest is up to you, Mr. Holiday. Okay. And uh, 
Yes, what now? For your sake, I sincerely hope nothing goes wrong. And now, back to Box 13 and Diamond in the Sky with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. The rest was up to me, Martin said. All I had to do was collect the Marabolous Diamond, see that I wasn't caught off base, deliver it to Martin, and then that was all. I hailed a cab on the street. Uh, Catra Saint Rue de la Guerre. Pete. Governor, with an accent like that, just talk English. Huh. Guess it wasn't very good, huh? Are you an American? No, a Londoner from Limehouse. Hop in, sir. That was 45 Rue de la Guerre, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. How did you know I was American? You kidding? I drove a cab three years in Brooklyn. He wants to know how I know he's an American. Okay, Limehouse. Then you should know what this means. Step on it, never mind the tickets, huh? Blimey, I ain't heard that since the days in Flatbush. Hold on, pal. Here we go. You're here, Governor. Want me to wait? Yeah, and keep that motor hot. Hey, what's up? I don't know. Something hot? <laughs> Just wait. Okay, Governor. I'll be here. I went into the house, asked for Monsieur Corre. Gave him the code words, I've come from the sky. And without a word, he went to the fireplace, lifted out a brick and handed me a velvet case. Well, after all this, I... I had to take a look. Inside the case, well, the Marabolus looked like a piece of something that would make any crook risk his neck. Or mine. I snapped the case shut. Hooray said nothing, just watched me. Showed me out. All right, Limehouse. Bond Home Hotel and on the way. Don't bother to fly alone. I don't know what this is all about, sir. But when you went in that house, that car pulled up back of us and stopped. Huh? And they kept their motor out, too. Limehouse was right. It looked as though somebody had talked, but not me, and certainly not Martin. We pulled away, the big car tailed after us. Limehouse turned his head to talk to me. They're tailing us, all right. Can you get away? With this act, the three cylinders still working, I got asthma. You gotta make it. What did you do? Pinch the crown jewels? You're warm. Step on it and do your best, will you? Did you pull a heist? No. Okay, you've got an honest face. All right, Governor. There's nothing keeping this act together but termites holding hands. But here we go. That big car in the back didn't lose an inch. Limehouse, now I had to go through an empty stretch of road. So I told him I thought that's where the mugs in the big car would make their pitch, and... Yes, you're right, but I've got an idea. Well, I can use it. Listen, look down the street. See that turn to the right? Yeah. I'll get close to the curb as I can, and you get ready for a jump. Huh? Jump? Sure. I'll act like I'm going straight, but where I showed you, I'll turn fast to the right. You jump out, roll in the doorway or something. Well, what about you? I'll make a U-turn back out and pull the mugs down the street after me. You got it? Got it. Oh, uh, here's your fare. Plus. <laughs> Ain't had so much fun since Coney Island. Okay, pal. Cry for the brass ring. Nah! Attaboy, Limehouse. It worked. I collected a few bruises, but I still had the diamond. Farther down the road, Limehouse stopped. He had to because the boys in the big car angled in front of his cab. I waited long enough to make sure Limehouse was going to keep his health. Then I doubled back and forth until I came out on the main street. There I took a bus. I I felt like having lots of people around. I got to the Bondome Hotel, walked to the desk, and told the clerk I wanted to leave a package for Monsieur William Martin. 
Oh, brother, I got the surprise of my life when the clerk told me there was no Monsieur William Martin registered there. Well, I sat down to figure that one out. Then, just when I was about to give up, I... Holiday. No, no, no. Don't look at me. Martin. What the devil? Pretend that you are not speaking to me. Now, you have the stone? Yes, but I almost did that. What happened? It's a long story. You want to hear it now? No, no, no. We have not enough time. Look, I will put part of my newspaper on the sofa between us. Then, when no one is looking, put the diamond under the paper. Okay, then what? After a minute, I will pick up the newspaper and leave. Oh, and I hope this ice goes with you, Mr. Martin. <laughs> it will. Don't worry. Well, that looked like it. All finished. <laughs> I counted chickens that weren't there. A half hour later, I went to the room of my hotel. I just had the door open when... <gasps> I woke from my deep dream of peace with a knot on my head and a distaste for the whole proceedings... And the room? Well, it was in shambles. Somebody had fine-combed it after drumming on my head. The manager knew nothing about it. Well, that made us even because I, I couldn't figure why somebody took the trouble to slug me and search the room when I didn't have the diamond. Unless... Unless somebody thought I was still carrying it. That somebody? I had an idea, and 40 minutes later, I was sitting across from Irene Carson at a little sidewalk cafe. Mr. Holliday, you, you, you're insane. I will be after another knock on the head. But why do you accuse me? Because no one but Martin knew where I was going to stay in Paris. And you. But this is ridiculous. How should I know? The letter you said dropped out of my pocket. It did drop from your pocket, and I did not read it. Really, I, I think this is a ridiculous story. A Mr. Martin who wasn't at his hotel to, to pick up a diamond worth a million dollars, men chasing you, hitting you, searching your room. And now, simply because I had my hands on a letter, you accuse me of a... Who else knew? You're Mr. Martin. And that's another thing. I never saw you with anyone on that plane. You spoke to no one. You got off alone. <laughs> really, Mr. Holliday, it's a fantastic story. No one saw me with Martin. Exactly. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to get back to Le Bourget. You've taken up too much of my time already. I... All right, Miss Carson. But will you do me a favor? What? Confess to the whole thing? Admit I'm a notorious international jewel thief? No, I... Just get me on a plane back to the States. Look, I... I apologize. All right. All right, I accept the apology. And I'll do my best to get you out of Paris. You, uh, you seem to be allergic to trouble here. You're so right, Miss Carson. You're so right. After that rigmarole in Paris, New York's LaGuardia Airport sure looked good to me. I was leaving the field when... Welcome home, Holiday. Well, Kling, what a nice surprise. I've got more. Come on. Hey, wait a bit. What is this? You're a writer. Write a line for yourself now. What are you talking about? I'm talking about a pinch, Holiday, which this is. Arrested? Now, wait a minute. It didn't make sense. Nothing made sense. On the way into the city, Kling wouldn't say a word. 
For every question I asked, he growled. But finally in his office... Where's the diamond, Holiday? Diamond? Mirabilis, Schmirabilis. Where is it? I smuggled it in, Kling. So you got through customs. Now quit stalling. Where is it? Are you kidding? A million in ice and nobody, kids. Nobody. Now wait a minute. Why did you pick me up? I stopped in at your office to say hello, and Susie told me that you were in Paris. Yesterday we got word from Jason Vandercliff that the Mirabilis diamond he was to get from Paris hasn't shown up. We checked with the Paris police. A guy named Corey... Describe me. Is that it? Yeah. Susie tells me you're in Paris. Corey describes you, and two and two make four. Now start talking. Well, I told Kling the story, starting with Martin's letter to Box 13 and ending with my return to the States. Can you prove that yarn? Get Martin and ask him. That'll be a little tough. He's dead. What? Yeah. When did you leave for Paris? Day before yesterday. Martin's body was found in the river that day. We didn't get an identification out of yesterday. Vandercliff identified him. Kling, you're, you're crazy. I tell you Martin went to Paris on the same plane with me. Here's Martin's photograph. Take a good look. This isn't Martin. Vandercleff ought to know. His own agent. And the Martin... The Martin I went with was a fake. Yeah. Who probably killed the real Martin. Took his place. Used his own photo and the credentials he showed you. I... Whew. Uh, that's a brilliant remark. Uh, but the crooks who chased me in Paris. My being hit over the head after I got the diamond, I... Yeah. It's easy to figure now. Your fake... Martin sent those hoods after you to get the diamond and get rid of you for good so you couldn't identify him. That's why he wasn't registered at the hotel, because he didn't expect me to show up with the diamond. And the crack over the head, your, your room search. Sure, sure, sure. When I got away from his boys, he sent them to my room, thinking I might go back there before I went to the Vendôme. I walked in while they were searching the room, and they slugged me. I, don't, don't you see, Kling? I, I'm in the clear. Yeah? How? Well, because I had nothing to do with the... the, the Holiday, the... you've got your story. But only Martin can keep you out of jail. Then you've got to find Martin. How? He must have taken an earlier flight from Paris. But how could he get the diamond through customs? I don't know. You know, Holiday, this looks like the end of Box 13 for you. Martin loses himself in a city of seven million, lays low and leaves you to take the rap. What if I find him? You'll still have to make him talk. Listen, Kling. You know I've never been mixed up in anything shady. Maybe I've been roped in because I follow things through, but, but never deliberately. What are you getting at? Well, will you let me find Martin? How? You're our only link with him, and you don't know a thing about him. He could dye his hair, leave off his glasses. I know, I know, but, but if I don't find him, I'm in, I'm in trouble, is that right? You've never been more right in all your life. All right. If I don't find him in 24 hours, I'll walk back in here and you can do what you want with me. Is that a deal? Uh, you know, Holiday, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a cop. My father wanted me to be a sign painter. Now I realize my father was a smart man. All right, go ahead. A needle in a haystack. I was hunting for it, and it was a pretty sharp needle. Any character who could think up a frame as neat as this one would be tough to locate, if he was still in town. But I had to go ahead. It took me two hours to remember something that would help me. Seven hours more to follow it up and an hour to get hold of Irene Carson and take her with me. Then call Kling and give him the setup. It was later that night that I knocked on a door. Yeah? 
Telegram from Mr. Benjamin Slade. One moment, please. Hello, Martin. What? I used to be a salesman. I'm good at sticking my foot in doors. Who are you? Mother Hubbard, and I've come to take a look in your cupboard, Mr. Martin. <laughs> my name is Slade, Benjamin Slade. So, you did dye your hair. And you're much prettier without glasses. I have never seen you before in my life. Yes, but I've seen too much of you. Come on, Slade, or Martin, give it up, will you? What brought you here? One of your peculiar cigarettes. I remembered I tried to smoke one when I first met you. <laughs> you are insane. Yeah, I went to your fake office in Wabash Place. There was an ashtray with some cigarette butts still in it. It took me seven hours to run down a dealer who makes your cigarettes. Clever. But I still deny ever having seen you before in my life. Oh? Okay, let's try something else. Come in, please, will you? Martin, this is Miss Carson. Our stewardess on the trip over, remember? Miss mm -hmm. Carson, is this the man who gave you the letter to give to me? I... Yes, that's the man. I did not... Oh, 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 oh. Slips count in this game, Martin. Besides, your handwriting in the letter can be identified. You're too much too clever. Duck, Miss Carson. <laughs> oh! Okay, Martin, without a gun, you're just another sitting duck. Now, get up and come on. But, Mr. Holliday, how did Mr. Martin get the diamond over here? <laughs> he was too smart for that, Sissy. He left it in Paris. He got out and planned to return later. The Paris police are found it. You know, <laughs> he was pretty silly. Silly? Oh, how'd you figure that out, Susan? Well, a million dollars. Jeepers, look at all the income tax he'd have to pay on it. Huh? Oh. Good night, Susan. Next week, same time, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Alan Ladd appears through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures. Watch for him in his latest picture, Psy Guy. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville, with an original story by Sal Shore, adapted for radio by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker, and Lieutenant Fling by Edmund MacDonald. Production is supervised by Vern Parsonson. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. With the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Take a letter, Miss Jordan. To Box 13, care of the Star Times. I, uh, I'll need your help. I dare not go to the police for reasons I'll explain when you see me. Please come to my office in the security in the security building, signed Douglas McIntosh. Not much of a letter, but then, as the proverb says, great oaks from little acorns grow. And before this was over, 
the acorn grew into a large, large oak. And now, back to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, Three to Die. Douglas McIntosh. That's a Scotch name, isn't it? Ah, you can smell the heather, Susie. Wonder what he wants. Well, if this man is the same Macintosh I looked up, he's building that new tunnel under the river. <gasps> Gee, maybe he wants you to be a hedgehog. <laughs> no, Susie, they're called sandhogs. Oh, what won't they think of next? Well, I think I'll see what Mr. Macintosh has on his mind. I'll be at the security building, Susie. Security building. Huh. It was the only security I was to know until the whole thing was over. Anyway, I went to McIntosh's office. I was shown right in to an oversized man who looked as big as the Washington Monument in Tweeds. He didn't waste much time. So you're the man, eh? Yes, I'm the man. All right. You call me Mac. What's your name? Holiday. Dan Holiday. All right. Now, Dan, I'm in trouble. Uh-huh. Trouble gets around. Fast. But look here, and I'll tell you quick. I'm a contractor. I bid on this new tunnel got the bid and posted my bond to finish the tunnel on time. So far, everything's clear. What now? Then, I'm not going to finish in time. Well, why not? Now we get to the point. Then a sharp point. You say you're running into trouble? Hey, sabotage. Well, why don't you call the police? They can't, man. There'd be publicity. Unfavorable. I, they can't risk it. Oh, then what's my problem? Find out who's doing this to me. You suspect someone of doing it? Now, look, man, accidents like we've been having don't just happen. They're made. Broken air hoses, emery in the compressors, hundreds of delays, little things that add up to hours. Oh, I see. Another thing. So far, the men working for me think these things are accidents. But the moment they suspect somebody's doing the dirty work in that tunnel, they'd walk out. Sandhagen's dangerous enough itself. In short, somebody's trying to ruin you. Exactly. It would ruin me. The contract would go to someone else. They'd not get another contract for years. What can I do? I'm not a detective. You see, I... I beg your pardon, Mr. McIntosh, but... Uh, can't you see? I'm busy. What do you want? Telegram. I thought you ought to see it right away. Uh, all right, read it. Well, uh... Oh, it's... It's all right. You can talk in front of him. Dan, this is Fred Harris, construction engineer. Harris, Dan Holliday. How do you do? I don't know you. Now, what about that wire? Uh, the last shipment of concrete we ordered was derailed about 200 miles from here. What? Well, don't just stand there. Get every truck out of the road. Get that concrete here. You ought to have enough sense to think of that without coming to me first. Go ahead. Get it down. Yes, sir. You see what I mean, Dan? Another delay. Who's this Harris? He thinks he's going to be my son-in-law. Also, he thinks an engineering degree makes him a great man. That it takes the place of 15 years of experience. That's an argument I'd rather watch from the sideline. Well, go on with your story. Well, we have to finish in three weeks or I'll forfeit my contract. McIntosh told me everything he knew. It wasn't much. Only that whoever was doing the dirty work causing accidents, delays, had to be working in the tunnel. So we went to the tunnel. But first, before I was taken down into the workings, I was given khaki coveralls and a fiber helmet and a little metal tag to hang around my neck. Mac explained the tag. Every sandhog gets one of those. It's got his own number on it. Well, what's it for? Ever hear of caisson disease? Oh, the bends? Yeah, yeah. Well, on one side of the tag, it explains the man is a caisson worker working under pressure. 
Oh, so if the disease hits him on the surface, he can be given proper treatment. Well, that's it. There are six places in the city where that can be treated. The man is put into a chamber, pressure increased, then gradually decreased. Mm, like a diver. If he comes up too fast, the nitrogen in his blood is forced into his tissues. Causes pain. And sometimes worse. You seem to know a lot about it, then. <laughs> I'm a writer. A writer has to know a little about everything. <laughs> then I hope you'll be able to tell me more about what's going on down there. All right. Ready? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Yeah, let's go. Together, Mac and I rode one of the hoists down into the workings. My ears began to pop from the pressure, and I swallowed hard to keep them open. Then we came to the bottom of the shaft, about 150 feet below the surface of the ground. Mac looked around for a minute, and then... Angus! Angus! Here! Come here! A short, powerfully built man walked over to us. He was grinning as he said to Mac. Ah! What brings the boss into the turtle? Angus, meet a friend of mine, Dan Halliday. Dan Angus Campbell, my foreman. Best man in the world in his line. <laughs> Aye, the best beside yourself. How do you do, Dan? How are you, Angus? First rate. Except we had another little rumpus today, Mac. Uh, what? Another break in the air hose at the shield. The hose whipped around. Anybody hurt? Aye, Phil Evans. Hose got him right in the middle. He's done for this job. Won't work for a month. Broken ribs. Uh, another one. Aye. You visiting us here, Dan? Well, you might call it that. Dan's a writer. Doing a story on sand hogging. Wants atmosphere. Ah, uh, uh, you'll get it here. You want to see the works? Uh, show them around, Angus. And be careful of them. Don't you worry, Mac. Good. I'll go back to the office now. Come back there when you finish, Dan. Oh, sure. Oh, it's got him worried, Dan. And little wonder. Every penny he stands to lose. Every penny. That bad, huh? Worse. And if I ever catch the one that's doing it, I'll whip him around with me bare hands. Mm. You and Max seem to be good friends, huh? I started together 30 years ago in Scotland. Uh-huh. Well, time's fleeting. Want to show me around? Sure. Let's get going. I followed Angus into a big airlock. It was a reinforced concrete compartment with double steel doors. As one door closed behind us, the pressure was built up to equal that in the tunnel. It built gradually. But I knew what would happen if it went down fast. Caisson disease. A terrible, racking pain. Brother, I had a lot of respect for the men who worked down there day after day, taking risks, big chances every time they descended into the workings. Then he opened another steel door, and Angus and I were in the tunnel itself. As soon as my ears became used to the noise, Angus guided me to a small flat car. We got on and rolled down narrow gauge tracks to the center of the tunnel. If you can hear me, this car runs down by gravity. But the handbrake on it to slow it or stop. There's a motor for running back up. Saves time on a job like this. How long is this tunnel? This side's about a half mile long now. This side? Aye. They started on the other bank of the river the same time we did. Oh. Did you have any trouble over there? No, only on this side. But we're keeping up with them. I'll keep driving till this thing's finished, accidents or no accidents. How much time have you got? Three weeks. Think you'll make it? We've got to, or Max stands to lose every neck. Look, there's the end of the track. I looked ahead. A tremendous scaffold rose into the air, men covered it like ants. Working with pneumatic drills, shovels, wheelbarrows. 
Dump trucks ran back and forth, filled with the mud and shale dug out of the wall of earth that lay ahead. I looked up and I felt a little funny when I realized that right over my head was the river and lots of clean, fresh air. While down here was nothing but the deafening noise of the hammers and the thought that death worked right next to every one of these men. Angus noticed me gazing up at the scaffold. First time you ever saw anything like this, eh? Yes, yes. What holds all that mud back? That shield and compressed air. Air? Just air holding back the river? <laughs> Aye. You see, compressed air here in the tunnel is built up to a pressure equal to the pressure that's shoving down from above. Oh, in other words, if the pressure outside this tunnel is, well, 45 pounds per square inch, that's the pressure in here. Right. Well, this may not be a good question, but uh, what happens if the pressure in here gets less? We'd be crushed to jelly. Uh, nice thought. That's no all. There's always the danger of a blowout. What's that? Sometimes we hit a weak spot in the riverbed. The bed won't take all the pressure we've got in here. And you get a blowout, like a tire blowing out. Aye. The men, machinery, equipment, all blown to the surface of the river and into the air. Has that ever happened? Aye. And once, only once, mind you, a man lived to tell about it. Angus, I take off my hat to you boys down here. A million people drive through tunnels every day. Yet maybe not one in a hundred stops to think how the tunnel was built. And what it cost. Not only in money, but in injury. In death. Yeah, when a man takes to sand organ, he takes to the danger too, only. Only what? We've only got a half crew working today. Oh? Why? Two men have been killed. And nobody wants to be the third. Superstition? Maybe. But lots of the men are staying home until the third. Well, uh, what I said... Angus showed me the whole thing. Oh, there were a million ways in which someone could sabotage the works. Breaking air holes, tamper with the compressed air gauges, lots of ways. Then later, Angus took me to a complicated affair. It was like an elevator cage. In fact, it was an elevator, as Angus explained. This is the latest thing. Combination elevator and decompression chamber. Up in, we'll go back up. We go up slow, Dan. As we go up, the pressure in here is decreased until it's equal to that of the surface. Oh, then there's no danger of caisson disease. Not if we go up slow enough. And the pressure's reduced. I set the gauges to do it for us. Oh, I see. Well, did you see enough to write your story? No. No, I don't think I have. Not yet. <laughs> You didn't see anything, Dan? Of course not, Mac. How could I? I was hoping you might get an idea. Yeah, but I didn't. Uh, you're going back again? What could I find? Try, try it, man. Oh, but I don't think I could find anything. Hey, you advertised for adventure. You, you couldn't get it in a better place. Yes, yes, I know, but how could I explain myself down there? Hey, you're a writer. Use your imagination, man. Mm. Well, suppose... Suppose I went back there as a worker. As a sand hog, you mean? Mm-hmm, that's it. But you don't know anything about it. I can handle a hammer, a shovel, I think. Uh, <laughs> you'd get dirty and tired. Every muscle in your body would holler out loud at you. <laughs> well, I can always say I'm doing it for my art. Be a sand hog, see how it feels, then write about it. By Harry, man, you've got it. All right, then. Starting tomorrow, you're a sand hog. <laughs> Oh, that was the way to do it. 
But when I got home that evening, I thought about it. That huge scaffold. Men scrambling over it, the pressure within the tunnel holding back the tons and tons of mud and silt ready to come in and crush everyone. What, uh, what if that pressure failed? What if they hit a weak spot in the riverbed and there was a blowout? The more I thought about it, the more inclined I was to... Yes? Telegram. Oh. Shove it under the door, will you? Right. Oh, and what a telegram. It read, Save for the fact that I don't want more bloodshed, you'd have gotten yours today. Stay away from the tunnel, or you'll be the third to die. Now back to Three to Die, another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. I showed Mac the telegram the next day, and what he said filled the air with dark blue color for ten minutes. Then we could check to see who sent this. No dice, Mac, I did. And? It was sent from a pay phone booth. I guess you'll be changing your mind about the job now, eh? What makes you say that? Well, he's after you, whoever it is. Yes, I know. Uh, You can back out if you want to. And what would you think if I did? Does that make a difference? No, but there are a lot of men in that tunnel who stand to lose their lives. Mac, you've got to get the police. I can't, man, I can't. The publicity would ruin me. All right. Fix it up for me to work down there and we'll see what happens. Okay, so I became a sand hog. For three days, I used muscles that thought they'd gone on a permanent vacation. Well, I woke them up. And they woke me up in the middle of the night, aching. Then one day in the tunnel, I was talking with one of the sand hogs. You know, Dan, you've done pretty well, considering you're new at this. Oh, I ache, Joe. I ache all over. <laughs> You'll get used to it. Mm, I don't think so. But, Joe, tell me something. Sure, what? What about these accidents down here? Oh, them. What about them? Well, maybe they're just part of the job. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Well, some of them weren't just like accidents, that's all. I mean, well, like a hose break. Two guys been killed. And, and what? Look out! Hey, you all right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You? I had to show you, Dan. That car would have clipped you in half. Yeah. Look. Look into the decompression chamber, huh? Well, Harris? Yeah, Harris. Oh. See what I mean? That car didn't look like no accident. Thanks, Joe. And this is one time I can honestly say I was was glad I was shoved. That's okay. You know something? You were almost afraid to die. Before leaving the tunnel, I ran down to the spot where that car hit the stop bumper at the end of the track. It was wrecked. But in the wreckage, I found something. One of the tags, like the one I had. This one had the number 57 on it. I slipped it in my pocket. Maybe one of the sand dogs had dropped it. Then, just as I was about to step into the decompression chamber, Angus Campbell came up to me and... Your ship's going off, Don? Yeah, I'm finished for the day. Almost in more ways than one. Huh? What do you mean? Come on, let's get in. I want to get back up. All right. Tired? Ah, I'm worried. I can guess why. Huh? Look, I know you're no writing a story on Sandhogan. I know why you're down here. 
Oh, you do? Aye. Max desperate. I want him to call the police, but he won't. How did you find out about me? You've been nosing around, Dan. Hmm. That obvious, huh? Aye, but be careful, lad. Be careful. Yeah, I will be. Joe told me about the car that almost got you. Somebody sent it down the tracks. Aye. Angus. Aye? You've been with Mac a long time. Thirty years. Thirty years. Good ones, bad ones. And yet you stay with a job. I could have a top job on the surface. I see. Angus, got any idea who's doing all this? No. Harris? Huh? Why him? Mac doesn't like him. Ah, don't sense that. What point in Harris's ruin is his own father-in-law? Father-in-law to be, Angus. Still no point? Then how about the protection insurance to cover the completion bond? Eh? You mean Mac might be doing this himself to get the insurance? Yeah, this could be. No, no, lad. The insurance wouldn't have covered the loss. No, there's, that's no it. And why? Uh, I wish I knew. Competitors, do you think? Who are they? Brillum Company. But no, they wouldn't. They'd be too easy to find out. Men got a habit to talk it. And talk gets around. No, Dan, that's no them. And then who and why? And why did someone try to kill me today? You got the answers to those things, Dan. And you'll have the whole thing. Well, we're up at the top. Walk to the shack with you. No, I'm going back soon. But I thought you were through for the day. I've still got lots to do. See you tomorrow. What Angus said made sense. Couldn't be Mac's competitors, because I checked. They'd been in business a long time, had plenty of money behind them. They'd gotten a bid for another job upstate. And Harris? Eh, it didn't make sense either. If he was going to be Mac's son-in-law, it just didn't wash that he'd be sabotaging Mac. So I changed clothes, thought a lot, and then went home. Went out to get some dinner when... when it hit me. First a twinge, and sudden cramps that made me bend over as if someone had folded me inward with a baseball bat. The building started to spin, twist, then it got all nice and dark. You're all right now. I... I know this isn't very original, but... Where am I? Take a deep breath. That's it. Feel better? Lots. What happened? Couldn't have been anything I ate, I... <laughs> you had the bends. The bends? Mm-hmm. The tag around your neck tipped us off you were suffering from caisson disease. So we put you in the chamber. Come on, get up. We may need this chamber for someone else any minute. You make it sound as bad as the housing situation. Yes, it is, but you're all right now. Next time, don't come up so fast. But I... I didn't come up fast. I... Yes? Nothing. Nothing at all. Thanks a million, Doctor. Well, it had me. Good. I knew I came up slowly... Angus had been with me. He... He... Oh, but that couldn't be. Not Angus. The next day, I went back to the job. I had just put on my coveralls when... When an idea hit me. I searched in my pocket. Lose something, Dan? Huh? Oh, no, Joe. I, uh... It's easy to drop something out of these coveralls. What's the number of your tag, Joe? Tag? Oh, 
The one we all wear in case we get the bends on top? Yeah. 502. Why? Got it on? Sure. Always wear it. Here it is. Uh-huh. Why? What are you getting at? I... I don't know. Listen, I'm going back for something I forgot. I'll be a little late on the job. Tell a section boss for me, will you? <laughs> sure. Where are you going? You're all hepped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I am, Joe. I'll be back. I went to see Mac. Told him he'd have to go into the tunnel that day and supervise operations. He thought I was crazy. Me? What for? To force your opponents into the open where we can get a shot at them for a change. I don't get this. Look, they're going after you, but by accidents. Things like that. So? But if you're in the workings, they might be tempted to wreck the entire tunnel with one stroke. You mean by going after me? That's it. You want me to lead with my chin like that? I'll call the whole thing off first. Lose the contracts. Money isn't everything. Exactly. You're right. But men have been killed down there. You've got to think of their lives, too. They do. Then get down with me. End this once and for all. Force them into the open. Uh, you're going, too? Yeah, because I've got an idea. But I can't prove a thing until we see the last play. I was leading with Mac's chin, and I knew it. But mine was plenty sore, too, and that made me feel a bit better about it. Mac knew he had no choice, and so he decided to go with me into the tunnel. I went to my job, and it was a ticklish feeling, knowing that any minute something might happen. Something that would make Joe, Mac, Angus, any one of us, the third to die. Or worse. Then... Hey, Dan! What is something funny? Funny what? I could have sworn the mud down here wasn't this deep before. What do you mean, Joe? Look. Stand still. Look around. The mud's coming up. It's getting high. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Joe, the pressure in here must be going down. Yeah. Dan, if it gets too low, that wall will come in on us. The whole river will be in our laps. Come on, let's get to the gauges. Dan! Dan, what's the matter? Pressure's going down in here. Come on. There's nothing wrong with the gauges. They read the right pressure. But they can't. The mud's getting higher. Look, look, the men are coming in. They've seen the mud coming up. These gauges. Hey, there ain't no air being pumped in. The gauges are stuck. Jam. Somebody jam them so anybody reading them will think the pressure was okay. Get to the emergency compressors. Pressure's dropping fast. Get to the compressors. Get them on. I got them. Watch the gauges. We're getting pressure now. What's the matter? What happened? Angus, somebody jammed the pressure gauges to make it look like we had enough in the earth. Jam? Well, save for those emergency compressors, we'd have been done for. What did you say, Angus? I said the emergency compressors. You said save for the emergency. Save for. Funny way of putting it, Angus. Either in words or on a telegram. What's the matter with you? Where's your tag? Huh? Right here? Yes, with a new chain. So is your tag I picked up in that cart yesterday. The cart that almost killed me. You're crazy. And you, you weren't anywhere around a minute ago. I was coming in here. Then what are you trying to see? There's your saboteur. Mine, you're crazy. Stop raving crazy. Yeah? And you went back down yesterday to decompress yourself after I left the chamber. You didn't turn on a decompression valve for me on the way up. You're, you're crazy, man. Not crazy, Angus, because you were the only one who could have played that trick on me. Get me out of the way by failing to turn on a decompression valve. You and I were the only ones in that chamber. Hey, he's running back to the shield. Get him. Get him before he gets the compressors. He'll wreck him. Cut him down. Good. Dan, I never can thank you enough. 
But to think that after 30 years, Angus would ever do a thing like this. Mac, don't waste time even thinking about it. Let's go finish this tunnel instead. with him, Mr. Holliday? Jealousy, Susie? You see, he'd worked with Mac as a foreman. Then he saw Mac rise from a foreman to the owner of a big company. For 30 years, every day he'd go into the tunnels just, just an employee, while Mac stayed on top, the big boss. And it kind of made him, well, jealous, huh? To put it mildly, yes. Golly. Well, that makes up my mind for me, Mr. Holliday. Congratulations, Susie. Huh? What do you mean? I quit. Huh? In about 29 years. Oh. <laughs> Good night, Susie. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville. Three to Die is an original story by Mr. Sandville, adapted for radio by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Watch for Alan Ladd in his latest Paramount picture. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. care of Star Times. I don't know quite how to begin this letter except to say that it may sound fantastic to you, perhaps even a joke. But please believe me, I am serious, and the situation is serious. A man is dying, yet he has nothing wrong with him. He believes he's going to die five days from now, and so Bart LaFay is dying. A strong, healthy man is dying because of witchcraft. I know this sounds incongruous. Anachronistic. In this 20th century. But if you will come to Ballou, Louisiana, you will see for yourself and perhaps be able to help. Sincerely, Doris Gordon. Sure, I laughed when I sat down to read Miss Gordon's letter. But the laugh stopped in Ballou, Louisiana. And now, back to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, Death is a Doll. But, Mr. Holliday, you don't believe this, do you? Susie, as my old grandfather used to say, there's no such thing as a sure bet or a sure loser. I don't get it. Well, to quote the time-worn passage from Shakespeare, there are stranger things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamed of in your philosophy. Who's Horatio? That's beside the point. But, Mr. Holliday, she... she says witchcraft. Now, that's just... it's... well, it's imposterous. <laughs> a girl, Susie, you never let me down. You had to hunt for it, but you found the wrong pronunciation. That's beside the point. Yeah, it could be. But something tells me that Valu, Louisiana offers interesting possibilities. Before I took off for Louisiana, 
I went to the Star Times and did a little research. You know, it's surprising what a person can find out about things he thought went out with the oil lamps, horse cars, and witch trials. But look at the bustle. Everybody thought it was dead. But now look. Well, just look. Anyway, what I learned made me change my mind a little about that letter from Doris Gordon, who met me at the station at Baloo. Five minutes after I got off of the train, we were driving along a dusty back road in her little car. I didn't think you'd come, Mr. Holliday. Oh, I never refuse a chance to get mixed up in something that sounds different. Or insane? Well, what's the difference? Automobiles and radios were different when they came along. Before that, they were insane. But this is different. <laughs> we're in the 20th century. Salem and the witch hunts are history. History? Well, to bat a cliché in the center field, history repeats itself. I know. Oh, oh by the way... No one must know why you're here, Mr. Holliday. Yes, why not? Because these people are fine and honest, but they're liable to resent a stranger. Oh, so what happens? I want you to pretend to be my cousin. Glad to. But won't they know you haven't got a cousin? No, I teach school here. I've been here only six months. No one knows much about my personal life. They've come to trust me and like me, I think. And they'll accept you because of it. Fair enough. Now... I board with the LeFays. LeFay? Oh, your letter mentioned a Bart LeFay. Yes. He's the youngest son. And he's dying, so you said. Yes. In one month, he's become almost a dead man. Why? What did the doctor say? He said there's nothing wrong with Bart. But there has to be. That's what I told myself. I told it to Bart. But Mr. Holliday, he knows he's going to die because someone has told him. Who? Who told him? I don't know who started it. But now everyone in Baloo knows it. It's, it's been like a snowball. Building, building, building. You're in love with Bart? Yes, I am. Hmm. All right, but, well, I don't see what I can do to help. You've got to. It was only by chance that I saw your advertisement in the Star Times, a newspaper published in a city hundreds of miles from here. Remember? Adventure wanted. We'll go any place, do anything. Write Box 13. I had to write to you. Just a minute, Miss Gordon. Let me ask you one question. What? Have you gone to the authorities? The sheriff, for example? Of course I have. And? Mr. Holliday, the law can't help when you're fighting something you can't see. So I was taken into the LaFay home as Doris Gordon's cousin. There was something about the house, an aura of fear that hung over it like a deadly pall. Bart's mother, his father, and his two older brothers seemed to have accepted the fact that Bart would die. Die when he said, in two days. That night, Doris arranged for me to be alone with Bart in his room. The house was located near the edge of one of the big bayous and somewhere outside in the night. The strange, eerie animal sound seeped through into the room where I sat with the sick man. How do you feel, Bart? Not fit, Mr. Holliday. Oh, now look here, Bart. The doctor says there's nothing wrong with you. Ain't nothing he knows. Ain't nothing he can know. Now, look, a man just doesn't die without something being the matter. I got just two days now. Oh, Bart, that's nonsense. Now, snap out of it. You just don't believe it, do you, mister? No. No, I don't. Then why don't you ask down in the village? Ask anybody. About what? About what's happening to him. People see it happen before, and there ain't nothing nobody can do. Ain't nobody can help. The right. Doris. Doris. Yes, Mr. Holliday. 
Oh, let's get some water. Oh, he can't swallow when he's like this. No. Here, Bart. Come on. Sit up. Sit up. Let yourself breathe. It's getting worse. It's like somebody tightened a rope around my neck. And soon it'll get so tight I can't breathe no more. Bart, you mustn't. You mustn't say that. Ain't nobody can help. Nobody. Doris. What, Dan? Where's the doctor? In the village. I'm going there. You stay here with Bart. All right. Take the car. There's only one doctor? Yes, Dr. Brennan. All right. Now, don't leave Bart. I'll be back soon. I'm sorry, Holiday, but there's nothing I can tell you. There's nothing wrong with Bart LaFay. You're sure of it? Look, anything that drags a man down from 200-odd pounds to 150, I'd know about. Maybe I'm just a village Oh, I didn't doctor, mean it that but... way, Dr. Brennan, but... But as you say, a man can't lose over 50 pounds and look as Bart does without a cause. I know that as well as you do. Yes, well, better than I do. So let's be honest with each other. Honest? What do you mean? Because you're a doctor and because you're rational, logical, and reasonable, you won't let yourself accept the only explanation of Bart's illness. I can't listen to any such nonsense, Holiday. Is Bart's condition nonsense? You're supposed to be an intelligent man. Yes, and so are you. Because I am, I, I won't think about it. You've never seen it happen before. No. But you've heard about it. Anybody who lives among people who believe in it has heard about it. All right. Now, Doctor, let's say what we're thinking. I'm not thinking anything. Bart LeFay is dying because... because he's the victim of witchcraft. You don't believe that. If you mean witches, charms, potions, and that stuff, no. I'm as hard-headed as you are. But Bart believes it. Why, it's so ridiculous. To you and me, yes. Maybe a hypochondriac is, too. But to him, his imagined illnesses are real. You don't laugh at him and send him away, do you? Well, of course not. And I'll tell you why not. You know his illness is in his mind, so you play along, comfort him. Because if you didn't, you know he'd become worse, simply because he'd think he was. Uh, well, all right. Supposing you're right about Bart, what can we do about it? You've told him there's nothing really wrong. A hundred times. There's nothing else I can do. <sighs> but I might be able to help. Hmm? How? Find out who started this thing and why it continues. If we destroy the cause, Bart will get well. Do you expect me to help? Won't you? Holiday, I'm a doctor, a physician, a member of the association. If I poked around in something like that, what effect do you think it would have on my reputation? Yes, I see your point. And it's up to me alone. I'll help you. Up to a point. Beyond that, well, it's, uh, it's all yours. Fair enough. Now I've got to talk with the people here. You won't get very far. Why not? Because not one of them will say anything or lift a finger. Because they're scared to? That's it. Doctor, Bart LaFay has only tomorrow and the next day to live. Unless I can lick this. And I'm going to try. I left Dr. Brennan and went back to the LaFay place. I had to talk to Doris alone and later in the darkness outside. Dan, it's too fantastic, too weird. Now listen to me, Doris. I did a lot of reading before I came down here. Know what I found out? No, what? In the last ten years, there have been over a hundred cases of so-called witchcraft. As recently as 1939, a man on trial for murder claimed self-defense on the grounds that the person he killed had charmed him, hexed him. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's what I thought. 
But look in the newspaper files. This is the 20th century. It could be the 120th, Doris. And still, people will believe what they want to believe. Do you believe it? No. No, there's no power on earth that can kill like that. The only power lies in the victim's mind, in his will to believe. And Bart? He leaves it so strongly that he's dying. He can't die. He just mustn't. Mm. Look, who started this? There had to be someone that planted that suggestion in his mind. No one. There isn't a person in the village in this whole parish who doesn't like Bart. But there has to be, Doris. It must be some horrible, malicious joke. Mm, a joke would have been called off before this. Then I don't know. If, if I'd go into the village tomorrow, what would I learn from the people? Probably nothing. No one will come near here. I have to drive in for supplies every day. Bart! That was Bart! Come on. Doris and I ran into the house and LaFay was standing at the door of Bart's room, staring at the closed door. Terror in their faces. I ran past them. Bart! Bart! Doris, get the lamp. Hurry. Here. Bart! Bart! Uh, he's all right. He, he, he just fainted. But why? Why? Here's your answer. What? What's that? Doris, shut the door. Keep the rest of the family out of here. Wait out there, please. Blow out that lamp. But... Blow it out. What are you looking at? Is there somebody in the clearing outside? No. No, not a soul. I didn't expect to see anyone. You didn't expect? Look. This charm that made Bart scream was tossed in through this window, Doris. And nothing supernatural or magical about it. It was a human being who tossed it in. But why? To let Bart know he has only two more days to live. <laughs> Now back to Death is a Doll, another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. It wasn't pretty, that charm. The way it was made with feathers and leather and bits of bone gave me a cold chill. I stuck it in my pocket and then took it out again. It was silly, but I didn't want the filthy little thing near me. Bart came too, we made him comfortable, and I spent the rest of the night sitting by his bed. Then the next morning, Saturday, Doris drove me into the village. While she did some errands, I went into the general store. Morning, mister. Oh, good morning. Can uh, I do something for you? Well, I... A stranger here, ain't you? Yes, I just came in yesterday afternoon. I'm Miss Gordon's cousin. Oh, sure. Fine girl, Miss Gordon. Yes, she is. Uh, boys, this here's Miss Gordon's kin. Cousin. Them's uh, Ed Masters. Hello, how are you? John Latouche. Hi, boy. How do you do? Uh, Tuck Wilson. Hi. And the rest of them. How are you? Staying uh, in Valua Spell, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh... Name's Dan. <laughs> Just call me Pop. Everybody else does. Though Tuck here's about ten years ahead of me. Oh. <laughs> okay, Pop. As I was asking, uh, staying long? Well, I don't know. Vacation? Sort of. Oh, staying here at the hotel? No, no, no. Oh, right in the old Gerard cabin, huh? Folks uh, do for vacation. 
No, I'm staying with the LaFays. Well, I must have said something wrong. That's one mighty good way to clear the store. Just mention LaFay's. Aren't the LaFay's like? They was. Was? You come in here to buy something, mister? No, I... Well, then I gotta get busy. I gotta get some stock put away. And... Oh, now, just a minute, Pop. Huh? Want something? I want to know something. Maybe you can tell me. Depends. I don't know much. I'll make it worth your while. You can uh, put away your money, mister. If and I wanted to make talk, uh, I wouldn't take no pay for it. Oh, I see. I'm, I'm sorry. You uh, ain't staying long with the LaFays, are you? I don't know. You better know. Listen, Bart LaFay's dying. Is he? You know he is. He's been ailing, not been fitting. Pop, who's doing it to him? I ain't got no idea what you're talking about. I think you have. You can't stand by and see a man die like that. Sooner or later, we all got him. Pop, if you can tell me anything... I ain't no use of asking me. That effing you want advice, mister, don't stay no more at the LaFay's. I gotta get back to work. Oh, now, wait a minute, Pop. Well, it was useless to try that anymore. I went outside and stood there for a moment. Then I glanced back at the store, and staring out at me from a window was the face of a girl. About 18. And if ever a face showed fear, there it was. Before I could move, she pulled back and away. Outside in the street, little groups of people stared at me, and when I looked back at them, they walked out of sight. Farther down the street, I saw Doris, and she was talking with a big husky fellow, and I walked toward them. Dan, what did you find her? Oh, nothing. Oh, I knew it. Oh, Dan, this is Didge Lawson, Bart's best friend. Didge, this is Dan Holliday, my cousin. How are you, Didge? Fitting. <laughs> Them yellow livers were scared, huh? Yeah, look like it. Look here, mister. I ain't scared. If you want any help, I'll give it to you. Thanks, Didge. But can you help? Maybe. I got an idea. An idea, Didge? About what? Look here. Someplace out in the bayou is what's killing Bart. In the bayou? Yeah. I know that they're by you like the back of my own hand. Some funny things can go on out there, mister. Like what? I see the doll once, hanging from a tree. Dressed up like a man it was. Dressed up like Bill Dakin. Ain't long after that, Bill took sick. But then he died. You saw that, Ditch. Mm. Why didn't you do something? Me? I ain't gonna touch nothing like that. Them that touches is they get sick and die. You think that's what's happening to Bart? Is that it, Ditch? Maybe. I see. Well, thanks for offering to help. That ain't nothing. We'd better be getting back now, Dan. Huh? Oh, yes, sure, sure. Glad to meet you, Dan. See you, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll see you later. Bye, Dad. Bye. Doris. Yes? How good a friend is this to Bart? Why, they grew up together. And would he tell us if he knew who was doing this to Bart? Oh, I'm sure he would. Yeah, then we have someone to help us. But I think he's really afraid, too. He'd never admit it. Do you think he'll be able to help? That depends. But what he said about that doll and Bill Dakin. Did you believe it? Yes, I did, because it's happened before. Dan, you can't mean it. You can't mean it, because it's impossible. So is the fact that Bart's dying with nothing wrong with him. But he is. Then how can we stop it, Dan? Well, I don't know yet. But we've got to find out today. Tomorrow may be too late. Let's get back to Bart. 
When we got back to Bart, I tried to get him to tell me who had told him he was doomed to die. He wouldn't say. Bart had one more day to live unless... unless we could find the evil thing that was preying on his mind. It was later that night, close to midnight. I couldn't sleep. I was lying on a cot when I heard a noise at my window. Who's that? Who is it? What the... Don't talk loud, mister. Who are you? My name's Melissa. Please, mister, I've got to tell you something. If you want to help Bart... Wait, I'll come right out. No, no, you just got to listen. I heard you talking in the store to my pop. You want to know about Bart. What do you know? Come on, tell me. Didge put the death on Bart. Didge? Even he finds out I told you, he killed me. He won't do anything of the kind, Melissa. Now, what do you know about this? Everything was all right till she come here. She? Miss Gordon? Her. Didge got smitten with her. <laughs> oh, now, now, Melissa, we'll fix all that up. But you've got to tell me what you know, quickly. When Bart took sick, I knowed it was something Didge had done. I followed him out to the bayou. And? Five times I followed him to Grandma Juno's place out there. Grandma Juno? Who is she? A witch. Melissa, there's no such thing as a witch. She is, she is. All right, let it go. What else do you know? Did has gone out there again tonight. Tonight? How do you know? I saw him taking his boat out of the shack. Mister, he's gone out there tonight to see Grandma Juno. This will be the last time. They'll twist the thread around Bart's neck and tomorrow he'll be dead. Melissa, can, can you take me out there? Me? No, I ain't gone no more. I ain't. I, I'll take sick and die. Wait right there. You and I are going into town. What for? Never mind, just wait there. I awakened Doris, told her what was happening, and took her car, and Melissa and I drove into the village. Later, she, Dr. Brennan, and I went out to the edge of the bayou, and... If a word of what I'm doing gets around, I'll be done for. She's got to help, Doctor. All right, all right. Melissa! What? You sure that you can lead us to Grandma Juno's in the dark? I, I think maybe so. Well, come on, we're wasting time. Get in the boat, Doctor. Okay. In for this, I got an MD degree. Chasing around in the black of midnight after a witch. Ready? I am. Go straight ahead until we come to the turn. Then go left. Oh, good. Ready, Doctor? I gotta be. All right. Now, no lights. And be as quiet as you can. Let's go. Maybe I'll live to be a hundred. Maybe I won't. But I'll never forget that midnight boat ride. All around us, the huge cypress trees jutted up in the moonless sky. The drooping Spanish moss brushed our faces, and it was too dark to see a foot in front. But Melissa, uh, she knew what she was doing and where she was going. Once or twice, a dark shape in the water bumped against our rowboat and slithered away. Then... It's right up ahead. I can't see a thing. Melissa, you're sure? I know it. You can believe her, Dan. People know their way around these bios with their eyes closed. Shh, shh. Look. That's a lantern up ahead. There's Digi's boat. Stop rowing, Doctor. Oh, Easy. I'm going to take sick and die. I'm going to take sick and die. No, you're not, Melissa. Look. Good heavens. 
Up ahead, on a little island in the light of an old lantern, were Didge and an old woman. Didge was sitting on a log watching while the old woman crooned over a doll. Crooned over it and wrapped a string tightly around its grotesque neck. Silently, slowly, we got closer until we could hear her words. He'll shoot. He's got his gun. He can't see us. Melissa, stay in the boat. Stop where you are. Don't you come no closer. Haven't you do, I'll... I'll... Kill him, Did. Stop him. Honestly, his gun. Don't let him get it. Curse to you, the devil's death. Did. Pick up that gun, Doctor. You get it for this, mister. You get it. Now give me that doll. No. Give it to me, I said. Look out, Dad. She'll knife you. No, she won't. That's better. Now... Let's get back to Bart, Doctor. What about Didge? He seems to like it out here. We'll let him enjoy it a while longer. Keep his gun. Here, let me see that doll. I... Why, it... It looks like Bart LeFay. Sure. It was Bart LeFay. Huh? Never mind now. Let's get back. You see, Bart? This doll, it... It can't harm you now. Things like this can never harm anyone. It's in your mind. Look, I'll unwrap the string from his throat. You'll be all right. That? That thing was doing it to me? No, your mind was doing it, Bart. That's all. <laughs> You'll get better now. But, but what about you? What about me? Grandma Juno will get you. <laughs> no, she won't. Bart, believe me, there's nothing in the world like this can hurt you. So I'll go back home, and the worst that can happen will be, well, will be my own fault. Sure, sure. Where's Doris? Oh, I'll send her in when I leave. I, I can't thank you rightly, Dan. Yes, you can. Just remember what I told you, Bart. No harm can ever come to you, unless you bring it on yourself. <laughs> looking little doll. <laughs> it's not pretty. And he actually believed this was killing him? Well, he knows better now. Do you feel all right? Hmm? <laughs> of course. Why? Well, I just hate to think of that terrible old woman sticking pins in you. Oh, not a chance. Not a chance. Now, let me sit down and look at the mail. Oh! Oh, Mr. Holliday, what's the matter? Oh, I... I felt as though something stuck me. <gasps> Mr. Holliday, I... Susie. Susie. Oh, my knitting needles. Yeah. Good night, Susie. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville, and this adventure was written by Clark Robley. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. Part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Karstensen. Box 13 is a Mayfair production from Hollywood.
13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. William. William. Yes, sir, Mr. Mallory. We're ready to leave at a moment's notice, aren't we? Yes, sir. Very well. Please put this in the mail for me. Very well, sir. Oh, uh, you'd better take it ashore and post it there. <laughs> I'm rather anxious to see who this Box 13 is. The letter I received was short and to the point. Enclosed with it was a plane ticket and another ticket. First class on the biggest luxury liner afloat. And the letter read, Be at the end of Pier 9 tomorrow night at 8. Please be prompt. That was all. A command. Not a request. When I received it, I wondered who'd written it. Well, I found out. And now, back to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, One of These Four. But, Mr. Holliday, do you want to go on another trip? Oh, not if I can help it, Susie. But someone paid for these tickets. Hmm. First class on the biggest liner afloat. And no name or address. You can't send it back. But I can bring it back. You mean you're going to Pier 9 tonight? Like it says here, Susie, I'm going to Pier 9 tonight. I got to Pier 9 promptly at 8 o'clock. There was no liner there. There was nothing but a cold fog that penetrated to my skin and made me shiver in the dim, hazy light from a half-hearted street lamp a block away. I looked at my watch. It was exactly 8. Are you Mr. Holliday? Uh, yes, I'm Dan Holliday. Do you have the letter that was sent to you? Huh? Who are you? My name is William, sir. I'm a steward. Steward? On what ship? If you'll be so good as to show me the letter, Mr. Holliday, we can talk later, if you please. I, uh... Okay. Here you are. Very good, sir. If you'll come with me. Where? There's a boat waiting, sir, to take you out to the yacht. Yacht? What yacht? Look, what about this ticket? That will be explained later, Mr. Holliday. Now, will you come with me, sir? He stood there waiting for me to follow him. I wondered whether to or not. <laughs> well, I'd advertise for adventures and who blames whom in a case like this. Then... You coming, sir? I think you've talked me into it. Okay, William. Lead the way. Ten minutes later, I was aboard a yacht. But what a yacht. It was seagoing, and from what I could see in the bad light, ready to go anywhere and do anything. William led the way along the deck. You go down this companionway, Mr. Holliday. And it's nice to know we're going somewhere. Your cabin, Mr. Holliday. Mine? Yes, sir. I think you'll find everything in order. Pajamas, toothbrush, everything that you'll need for the night. Oh, now, wait a minute. If, if you... you're hungry, there are sandwiches and coffee. Good night, sir. Hey, now, just a minute. You. Hey, open up. Come on, open this door. William? William? And that, as they say, was that. I was locked in. I thought of breaking in the door, but one good look put that idea out of my head. The door was iron. There was one porthole in the cabin. <laughs> I couldn't have crawled through it if I'd been dehydrated. Well, I sat down to figure this out. Then it was figured out for me. The yacht was moving. I ran to the porthole. 
The lights of the city had already been swallowed up by the darkness. Mr. Dan Holliday was going on a trip. But where? And why? Mr. Holliday. Mr. Surprise, funny man. I always hide behind doors if people lock on me. Now talk. My arm, sir, it breaks easily. I'm glad to hear that. Now come on, talk. This will do you no good, Mr. Holliday. We've been underway all night. Maybe you're right. Thank you, sir. I hope you slept well. Oh, sure. Now, what's all this about? Breakfast is being served in the main dining salon, sir. I get great answers to my questions. You'll soon find out, sir. Now, if you please. Go ahead. I'll follow. As you wish, sir. Down this way, Mr. Holliday. I followed him down the passage, then into the dining salon. And there, seated around a table, were two men and a woman. They looked up as I entered, and one of the men spoke. Look here. Just what's the big idea? You talking to me? I certainly am. If I may have a word. Go ahead. All four of you are in the same position. You mean each of us was kidnapped? No, sir. Invited. Invited? My foot. I was locked up in the cabin. So was I. And me too. Well, well, well. And when do we learn why, William? As soon as Mr. Mallory wishes to tell you, sir. Now breakfast is served. I shall lock the salon door. Well, I'll be... I wonder what the gag is. Oh, if it is a gag. We may as well get acquainted. My name is Holiday, Dan Holiday. I'm Stanley Waring. How do you do? I'm Philip Clayton. Hello. My name's Lansing, Catherine Lansing. Well, so we know as much as we did before. We gotta get out of here. Obviously, this is some some sort of insane joke. I, I wonder if it is, Waring. Well, what person in his right mind would kidnap four people like this? What do you say, Clayton? Well, I don't know. Well, take a look out the porthole. We're obviously far at sea. <laughs> How well can you swim? Well, maybe we could get to one of the lifeboats. I don't think so. Oh, why not? Something tells me the rest of the crew are like William, the steward. I don't think we'd be able to get to a boat even if we got out of this salon. Well, I guess you're right, Holiday. Well, what do we do? Mr. Waring, I suggest we have breakfast. I think better on a full stomach. <laughs> One hour later, William came and unlocked the salon door and took us back to our cabins. I caught sight of some of the crew. They paid no attention to us, but went on with their work. Lunch was the same, locked in the salon, then back to the cabins. But at dinner time... Good evening, Mr. Holliday. Uh, hello, William. I see the dinner jacket fits you, sir. Very thoughtful of someone to provide the correct size. Dinner is being served, sir. Thank you. And will we be honored by Mr. Mallory's presence this evening? I can't say, Mr. Holliday. Perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps. <laughs> Say, William, where are we? I'm not a navigator, sir. I have no idea. Uh, there's still an ocean under us, isn't there? When I last looked, it was there, sir. Hmm. Well, lead on, William. Thank you, sir. Oh, good evening, Holiday. Hello, Aaron. Miss Lansing. Oh, good evening. Say, look, we've got to do something about this. We, we've got to. What do you suggest, Clayton? Well, I uh, I don't know, but we've got to think. What are they going to do with us? Why did they bring us here? Dinner is served. Why, why you? Yeah. I'll choke it out I, of you. Let, let him go, Clayton. Come on. Let come on, let him go. Let him go. Choke uh, something out of Let him out. What good will that do you, Mr. Clayton? <sighs> Mr. Mallory, sir. That will be all, William. You may go. And turn that thing off, will you? Very good, sir. You're an impetuous man, Mr. Clayton. 
So you're Mallory. Sit down, please. We'll have dinner. Uh, just a minute. Before we have anything else, we'll have an explanation, Mallory. You're uh, Holiday, aren't you? That's right. <laughs> Fiction writer, aren't you? What's that got to do with this routine? Please, sit down. Miss Lansing, on my right, please. Mr. Waring, that chair. Mr. Clayton, on my left. Mr. Holiday, sit at the other end, facing me. Please, you want an explanation. I promise you'll get one after dinner. Or would you rather wait another night and another day? I'll sit down. Thank you, Miss Lansing. All right. Yes, the explanation, it better be good. Oh, it will be, Mr. Clayton. And uh, Mr. Holiday. Yes? I'll wager you've never written anything to match it. <laughs> well, we sat down. Mr. Mallory enjoyed his dinner. We didn't. I watched him. He was a big man. His huge head was covered with a shock of iron-gray hair that matched the mustache under his sharp, thin nose. And he was charming and cultured. <laughs> in spite of the fantastic situation, we found ourselves listening to him after dinner as we sat in the salon. The 18th dynasty was Egypt's greatest. Its pharaohs conquered and reconquered. Its art reached a beauty and subtlety never before or since reached. Ah, yes, great people. But uh, maybe I'm boring you. Not at all, Mr. Mallory. You're very kind. And now, Mallory, the explanation. Of course, Mr. Waring. Well, Mallory? I'm choosing my words carefully, Mr. Clayton. They'd better be good. They will be. Miss Lansing, gentlemen, I investigated each of you before inviting you aboard my yacht. Mr. Waring? What? You advertised in the paper for a job, preferably in a foreign country, that you had no family. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. You answered my ad. Correct. Miss Lansing? Yes? You advertise for a companion position. You, too, have no family. I... No, I... And, didn't. Mr. Clayton, you ran an ad offering your services in any capacity. You're uh, sort of a soldier of fortune. If you want to call it that. I shall. Lastly, Mr. Holliday. Box 13. Adventure wanted. We'll go any place, do anything. Yes, that, that's my ad. Now, does any one of you see a striking similarity? Oh, please, you must have. You mean the prolonged absence of any one of us would go, well, would go unnoticed? Exactly. All right, you're clever, Mr. Mallory. We'll admit that. You've got us in a spot where you could do anything. Now, would you mind telling us why? Mr. Holliday, you're a fiction writer. Have you ever written a story about a perfect crime? Crime? Don't be alarmed, Miss Lansing. Well, Holiday? No, I've never written one. But there have been perfect crimes, murders in which the killer has never been caught. Yes, I suppose so. Yet suppose someone knows the killer in such a murder. Then uh, it would no longer be perfect. What are you driving at? Just this. One of the four of you is a murderer. What? A murderer? I use the word murderer in the sense that it can be either masculine or feminine. You know that? I do. One of you here is a killer. Twelve years ago, a man was killed, a friend of mine. The killer was never caught. I worked on it. I now have proof who that person is. Why didn't you go to the police? <laughs> Ten years ago, I would have. But now I'm in a position to enjoy myself, to watch the murderer squirm and wriggle. You're insane. What's to prevent us from jumping on me? My crew is well paid, loyal. They've been with me for years. Money is an effective silencer. You're a beast. Perhaps. Look, Mallory. The killer knows you've learned who he is. Or she. I'm not. Perhaps not, Miss Lansing. But uh, you were saying, Holiday. The killer knows you know his or her identity. 
What's to prevent him from killing you? My attorneys in the city have an envelope. In that envelope is the name of the person and all details. If I do not return within a certain time, that envelope will be opened. What's the time limit? Wouldn't you like to know, Mr. Waring? Oh, just a minute. I have a question, Holiday. Yes, I don't think you've finished your explanation. <laughs> I haven't. Here it is. In three days, we will dock at Havana. If by that time the killer's identity is not known to the other three of you, I will release all four of you. And the killer will go free? Yes. But if we do learn? I'm sure the killer will do all in his or her power to prevent that. How can we find that out? I will give clues. You will have to recognize them. Mm, I see. And if the killer realizes he's being trapped? Then he or she may kill to prevent that knowledge from getting out. And, Miss Lansing, gentlemen, I shall not lift a finger to prevent it. Do you think you can get away with this? Why, of course he can. You're very wrong, gentlemen. No one can prove you came aboard this yacht. No one knows. You'll stand by and see three people killed? The cleverest will survive. Now, here's your first clue. Are you ready? The Roman god, Janus. Janus? The Roman god? Yes. And now, good night. And may the cleverest among you live to see Havana. And now, back to One of These Four, another Box 13 adventure starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. So, there we were, the four of us. And one of us a murder, or so Mallory said. Was he lying? If he wasn't, then he'd cooked up a fantastic situation. After dinner that same night, I went to my cabin and sat down, trying to figure out what the Roman god Janus had to do with a killer when... Come in. May I come in, Mr. Holliday? <laughs> Please do, Mr. Mallory. It's your yacht. Mind if I sit down? It is also your chair. <laughs> I like your sense of humor. I like yours. It's just like an open grave. Don't you think you could get a story out of this, Mr. Halliday? What else will I get out of it, Mallory? Do you believe my explanation? I don't know. Here, take this. What? Here, what? take it. Take it. It's loaded, too. Why the gun? To protect yourself. Against what? For whom? Against the murderer. <laughs> it is loaded, isn't it? Yes. Yes, and it's pointed right at you. So I see. But strangely enough, I'm not worried. What's to prevent me from forcing you to order the shot back to land? Your sense of adventure, your own willingness to see this through, your desire for a good story. Aren't you placing too high a value on your ability to judge people? I've made no mistake in you, Holiday. That's why I gave you the gun. You mean you're actually going through with this incredible thing? Yes. One of the other three is the killer. Miss Lansing, Mr. Waring, or Mr. Clayton. Suppose... Suppose none of us learns who the killer is. I intend to keep my yacht on the high seas until you do. But you said we'd be in the van in three days. We don't have to be. You'd better be. Holiday, I have my own reasons for this incredible thing. I've come to you because I've watched you, listened to you. Of the four, you are the one who seems the most resourceful. You alone acted with calm and sense at dinner. Thank you, Mr. Mallory. Not at all, Mr. Holiday. Now I'll leave you alone. And, uh, Mr. Holliday, the cabin doors are no longer locked. They cannot be locked because the keys are gone. Good night. And that was that. Mallory's statement that the cabin doors were no longer locked meant that the killer 
if there was one, could go and come freely. And whoever it was would be watching, waiting. Oh, Mallory was clever. He was safe because of that envelope with his attorneys. And the rest of us? Well, we'd have to do something to protect ourselves. It was midnight when I got up from the bed. I hadn't undressed. I'd kept my eyes on the door. Then I thought again about Janus. Janus, the Roman god. What kind of a clue was that? Well, I decided to find out. There were books in the main salon. Maybe, maybe I could learn something from them. I stepped into the passageway. It was dark. Not a light showing. I groped my way along the passage toward the main salon. I opened the door. Who's that? Mr. Holliday, is that you? Yes, what are you doing in here? I was afraid. I was in my cabin. I was afraid. I had to get out. It was so small, I felt as though... As though I'd smother. But why did you come in here? I don't know. Why didn't you turn on the lights? I tried to. I I couldn't find the switch. Did you see anyone else? No. No one. You'd better get back to your cabin. No, I can't. I won't go back there. Mr. Mallory said the door couldn't be locked. Oh. Mr. Holliday, I didn't kill anybody. I'm innocent. Please. Please get me off this yacht. In the middle of an ocean? We can get a boat. We got to. You wouldn't have a chance in the world. Oh, but we'll, we'll all be killed. Come on, come on. I'd better get you back to your cabin. Come on. Oh, no, I won't go. I won't go. Now, don't get hysterical. That won't help. Oh, please. Please help. What makes you think I can? You? You mean you won't help? I, I didn't say that. I... Oh, you. You're the murderer. You're the one. Oh! Be quiet. Be quiet. That's good advice, Miss Lancy. Be quiet. Mallory. The lights will go on in a moment. Turn them on now. I can't. The main switch is off. I had it turned off because... Ah, there we are. All right, turn off the main switch, Mallory. Added protection and... What's the matter? Who is that screaming? Ah, Mr. Waring. Did Mr. Clayton come with you? Uh, yes. Yes, I'm here. Uh, what happened? Well, it seems that Mr. Holliday and Miss Lance... Holliday? What about it, Waring? What were you doing in here? Yes. What were you doing in here? Perhaps he couldn't sleep. Just a moment. I walked to the bookshelves, hunted for a moment while, while they all watched. It's still there, Mr. Holliday. What's still there? A book of mythology. Mythology? What are you talking about? Mr. Mallory gave the Roman god Janus as a clue. Now, Janus would appear in a book of mythology. Mm-hmm. Here it is. You're very clever, Mr. Holliday. Would you mind looking in the index for Janus? J-A-N-U-S? I can spell. Here you are. Page uh, 86. Turn to it. There's no page 86. That's right. Someone tore it out of here. Exactly. And that's the only book of mythology on board. It's obvious the killer took it out to prevent the others from finding the clue. In other words, the killer knew that reading that page would get him away. Yes, provided the reader was sufficiently acute. But uh, the killer forgot one thing. Yes, forgot what? He or she is the biggest clue of all. What do you mean by that? I mean, Mr. Waring, that there's something about him or her that gives away the show and ties in with Janus. What is it, Mallory? Find that out and you'll have the person, Mr. Clayton. Look at one another and remember what I said. Good night. Which one of us took that page from the book? He did. Mallory did, deliberately. So we could go on with this preposterous game. I wonder. There was someone in here when I came in. 
You don't know who it was? No. I left the door open when I came in. I couldn't find the light switch. I I think someone slipped out when I came in. And you, Holiday? You were here? Yes. Yes, I was. What of it? What do you think? What were you going to do here, Holiday? I came here oh! to... Just turn off the lights again. I don't think that anyone should move. We'd better get back to our cabins. I don't like being in the dark with a killer. The next morning on deck, I saw Waring standing at the aft rail. I stopped because he looked around as though seeing if anyone were near. Then he raised his arm and threw something into the sea. I wondered what it might be. Then he turned quickly and came toward me. Oh, hello, Holiday. Hello, Waring. Nice day, isn't it? I hadn't noticed. Has anything happened? I don't know, has it? <laughs> What's the matter with you? What did you throw overboard, Waring? Throw overboard? Me? Nothing. Look, Waring. We're all in this together. We've got to cooperate. One of us is a killer. I won't cooperate with anyone. Now, oh, let me get past. All right. All right, go ahead. He left me standing there. I walked toward my cabin down the passageway and opened the door. Clayton. Uh, well, holiday. Well, I, I thought you were on deck. Well, I'm not. What are you doing in here? Well, I, I, I just well, I wanted to see you. You can't find me in that drawer. <laughs> well, it, it was open when I came in. It was not? All right, it wasn't. So what? That's my question. What were you looking for? The missing page from that book. Stop lying. Uh, where did you get that gun? What are you going to do? Now, please, don't. Get out of here. Go on, get out. I'm going to tell Mallory that you have a gun. Sat down. Things were moving fast. I thought about Captain Lansing. She'd been in the salon. I thought about Waring, who had thrown something overboard. And what he had thrown hadn't been paper, so it wasn't the page from the book. And I thought about Clayton searching my cabin. Hmm. Which of the three was the killer? By now, I believed Mallory's story. Then... Then I remembered something. Something about... Janice. And it tied in with what Mallory had said. Tied in with the killer and something I'd seen. I left my cabin and hurried down the passage. I was almost to the end when... Feeling better, sir? (sighs) Who hit me? We don't know, Holiday. Well, whoever hit me took the gun you gave me, Mallory. You, Mallory? You gave him the gun? What was the idea? Where is it now? That's what I'd like to know. Obviously, Mr. Holliday, the killer has it. That's right. (laughs) This is going to be an interesting lunch. You may serve, William. Very good, sir. Uh, Mallory, I... I know who has that gun. Of course you do, Mr. Holliday. Who is it? Miss Lansing, when were you born? What month? Month? <laughs> Go ahead, Holiday. Go on. Well, Miss Lansing? Well, July. Why? Is that right, Mallory? That's right. Clayton. Uh, what is this? Answer the same question. Uh, December. He's telling the truth, Holiday. And Waring. When were you born? September. Is that right, Holiday? No, I don't think so. Waring, you were born in January, the month named after the Roman god Janus. Be careful, Holiday. What you threw overboard was a ring. A ring with a dark red stone. Your birthstone. A garnet. That's perfectly true, Holiday. Keep your hands on the table, all of you. And thank you for this gun, Mr. Holiday. You are not welcome. What do you intend to do, Waring? Kill all of us? I'm not that stupid. You killed my brother. Yes. 
But I'm not going to Havana or anyplace else on this yacht. Now stay where you are. I'll shoot the first person who gets up from that table. And I'll shoot to kill. Clayton, William. No, sit still. Let him go. Let him go? Yes, the crew has instructions to let anyone go. They won't see him take the lifeboat. They'll let him go. But he'll get away. I don't think so. He'll be picked up. You see, Miss Lansing, we haven't been many miles from shore. Now, shall we go on with our lunch? Miss Lansing, Mr. Clayton, you've been put to a lot of trouble. I hope these checks will make you feel happier. I think they will. Mr. Holliday, you got a story, I hope. Oh, yes, I did. You see, Mr. Holliday, I had to do it this way. I had no proof that Waring was the murderer. I spent ten years getting evidence, but no proof. I had a hope that he would break, put him under tension. But that envelope with your attorneys. Mr. Holliday, there was no envelope. They picked up that wearing, huh? Yes. Mallory radioed the police. Hmm. If he'd kept quiet, no one would have known. Yes, I know. But Mr. Mallory is a very clever man. So are you. Well, thank you, Susan. Oh, say, what about that ticket on the liner? Oh, I, I never thought about that. Hey, Susie, maybe I can still use it. Oh. Here it is. Uh-oh. Mr. Holliday. Huh? What's the matter? Look, the date. The boat sailed yesterday. Oh, fine. Good night, Susie. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville, with this week's original story by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. Part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker, and production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. Box 13 is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Hollywood.